Premier Horgan's health crisis. A few months ago, I felt a lump in my neck. What happens next if he has to step away from his duties? Soccer match stabbing. How it started and the hero who stepped in to stop it. And a promise from the Pope. Some people say, what is an apology without action? What the Vatican says about visiting Canada to face truth and reconciliation. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Premier John Horgan has revealed he is dealing with a health crisis after discovering a growth in his neck. Horgan will undergo a biopsy tomorrow and is confident of a full recovery, but he has taken steps just in case it's more serious. More on that in a moment, but first Richard Zussman has the announcement and reaction to it. Arriving for a surprise Thursday morning press conference, Premier John Horgan revealing this news. A few months ago, I felt a lump in my neck, which led to a visit to my doctor and a series of tests over the past few weeks. Those tests finding the lump was benign, but also discovering a growth in his throat, one requiring surgery Friday. The biopsy surgery tomorrow will reveal uh, what exactly we're dealing with. Uh, You're not supposed to have growths in your throat. Uh, That's the first order of business. Horgan staying on as Premier, vowing to fight, confident in a full recovery. It is certainly treatable, as as I've been told. And uh, when we get information from the pathology uh, tomorrow evening, uh, we'll have a course of treatment. And uh, certainly the public will be made aware of that. How you doing? What Horgan is waiting yeah. to find out One is whether this is cancer. He was diagnosed with bladder cancer in 2008, later declared cancer-free after surgery and treatment. His brother Pat died of lung cancer in 2018. This isn't the first time I've experienced uh, a health issue like this, and it's the extraordinary efforts of our public health care system that gives me complete confidence that all will be well for me. Well wishes pouring in. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau from Europe in a tweet wishing Horgan a fast and full recovery. Federal NDP leader Jagmeet Singh sending well wishes as well on behalf of new Democrats across the country and closer to home political friends and foes. Truly a remarkable person in BC politics and he's going to continue to be. He's going to be back next week. Going to be as as fun and interesting and demanding as uh, as he ever was. These are the kinds of days where you set aside partisan politics. This is about people who care about one another. Premier Horgan also hoping to get this message out, telling people to look out for their own health, even though they may be worried about the pressure on the healthcare system due to COVID-19. For those of you out there who do have concerns about this or that, don't wait. See a doctor. Urgent primary care centers are there for this very reason. Horgan also joking his wife Ellie will like the reprieve from all his talking, considering the surgery may zap his voice. And closing his press conference with this, homage to both his health and to Star Trek, his favorite TV show. Thank Thank you. you very much. Live long and prosper, people. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. All right, we'll have something interesting to say about that little sign-off a little later, but Keith Baldry joins us now. Keith, obviously the premier is going to have to take it easy after surgery. So he has appointed a deputy premier now if he needs uh, a little help with his duties during that time. 
Yeah, I think everybody for, forgot up until today we didn't have a deputy premier. Carol James was the last deputy premier, uh, but uh, Mr. Horgan did not pro, uh, appoint a deputy premier after the last provincial election. But Mike Farnworth is the guy. That's the other part of the story today. Mike Farnworth now the new deputy premier. John Horgan explaining why he picked Farnworth. And Farnworth basically said he expects it's going to be business as usual. I felt that this was an appropriate time uh, to tap Mike on the shoulder and say, uh, hey, man, I, I might need your help. Uh, and he, of course, readily agreed. He's already got a very full job as the House Leader, uh, Minister responsible for public safety, ICBC, and a range of other issues. But Mike has, is the most experienced member in the legislature. And uh, to have him uh, Deputy Premier, I think, is, first of all, a tribute to his service to British Columbia, but also a comfort to people that uh, should there be a reason for me to be out of commission for a period of time uh, receiving treatment, they know that the government... My first concern, of course, just like anybody's, is, uh, is for the Premier, and uh, um, he indicates that he intends to be back at work next week, and I certainly hope that, that he is. He and I have been uh, friends for, uh, for, for more than 30 years, and so uh, my first thoughts are obviously about his health, and, and I have to commend the way in which he, uh, he's been public about that. So I talked to Mr. Farnworth about this. He fully expects uh, the Premier, Horgan, to be back at the job on Monday and to preside over Cabinet. Now, John Horgan, you recall, took a holiday a little time ago, uh, but he still worked. You can do that over Zoom and computers and phones, and I expect Mr. Horgan is going to continue to do that even if he uh, gets treatment. The expectation around here is not a lot's going to change, certainly in the short term, and everyone's wishing Mr. Horgan all the best. Us included. Thanks very much, Keith. All right. Vancouver police are investigating after a young woman was stabbed with a dirty needle outside a coffee shop. It's the latest in a string of unprovoked and random attacks in the city. And as Jordan Armstrong reports, the assault is part of a larger pattern of disorder in and around the downtown core. We don't know what was in the needle um, and we don't know what the long-term uh, health implications uh, could be for the victim. Police say the victim, a 23-year-old woman, was followed from a coffee shop at Pender and Abbott. If that location sounds familiar, you're right. It is the same Tim Hortons where an employee had hot coffee thrown at her a week earlier. But back to what happened this week. For an unknown reason, uh, the suspect allegedly stabbed our victim in the leg uh, with a hypodermic needle. The victim called 911. Officers arrested a 35-year-old woman. She's since been released ahead of a future court date. The suspect is somebody that is known to us. While Vancouver's overall number of assaults has remained constant, police believe random attacks are on the rise. Friday night, a family staying at a downtown hotel was attacked with a rock. Saturday night, a group of international students was bear-sprayed near Science World. Monday night, a 20-year-old man had a lit cigarette pushed into his neck at Granville in Georgia. Mayor Kennedy Stewart would not be made available for an interview, but a statement from his office reads, quote, I know the VPD takes this issue seriously, and their stats show this work is paying off. Every category of crime is down or holding steady, compared to before the pandemic. But I say, get your crap together. He just retired to Vancouver from L.A. More or less safe than downtown Los Angeles? Oh, less safe. Why do Definitely you say so? safe. Well, you just walk down East Hastings, and I mean, it just goes on and on. As we were reporting this story, someone went on a window-smashing spree at International Village Mall. 
64-year-old Vivian Brown lives nearby, has for decades. She is saddened by the state of the neighborhood and the acceptance of the status quo. They need lots of um, mental health teams down here, I do believe. There's violence down here, too much homelessness. I don't know why it's not being addressed. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. And in the West End, new evidence of the brazen attack some businesses are suffering. Yet more surveillance video from Bikes and Blades on Denman. Four people break in and each of them steals a bike. They got away with two e-bikes and two regular bikes. Now, this video is from October 17th and the owner tells us it's the second time his store has been hit. The first time in March, thieves got away with four e-bikes. And just hours after Global News reported on a ring of brazen bike thieves, Vancouver police say they arrested the suspects. Surveillance video shows the men carefully removing the glass from the door of a West End apartment building and removing the bikes from the lobby. After our story ran, someone recognized the suspects and called police. They are now facing charges and the bikes have been recovered. Thanks to uh, Global and the uh, coverage on that and showing that surveillance footage, um, a viewer was able to call us, identify the suspects. So the police um, were on it right away. We located the suspects and were able to seize the six bikes. The building manager in this case uh, did everything right. He had security footage um, which captured the whole incident. But it goes to show that even having all this footage, taking all these precautions, uh, thieves will do whatever they have to do to, to accomplish their, their crime. And Vancouver police are investigating a shocking incident on a sports field that was caught on video and is raising more concerns about the level of crime in the city. As Amadagahi reports, a soccer game was interrupted by a violent attack that was stopped by a courageous referee. At first, no one really knows what to do as a group of people in street clothes walk onto the field during an active soccer match. It was during a Saturday afternoon 4 o'clock kickoff at East Vancouver's Trillium Park turf. Dieter Trenkel was the referee. Somebody wandered onto the field uninvited. So I had to stop the game and I asked, like, what are you doing? And he was really kind of incoherent. I wasn't sure if there was mental issues or drugs. He just sort of mumbled he needed help. And in that moment, it appears he was the first to realize the severity of the situation. I noticed a second person. And so I walked over to him and asked him to leave the field, and he pulled a knife out of his jacket. He had a seven, six, seven-inch switchblade. I just called out to all the people watching and the players to be careful. This fellow has a knife, and if anyone would mind recording this and actually calling 911. We're told the player on the bench belonging to the GFC United Lions filmed this video showing the eventual takedown and assault, which, when slowed down, appears to involve a knife being used. Oh, he just stopped him. Oh, me. He just stopped him. Trenkel is the first to intervene and is seen here pushing the attackers off the victim. My wife was telling me, like, are you nuts? But uh, I, I, I wasn't afraid. Police say there is still little known about the confrontation and the brazen public stabbing. It's obviously concerning that it happened at a soccer field and um, it's, it's concerning to us. So we're trying to determine what happened. Adding the victim's injuries are minor. The game resumed after police and paramedics had left the field, but clearly after the final whistle, the score was irrelevant. I was surprised that this happened 
in front of this many people. Like, has the city gone that far? And despite the video evidence that police were the first to see, there has yet to be an arrest or any suspects named. Emadagahi, Global News. A former coach of the women's Vancouver Whitecaps soccer team is facing allegations of making sexual advances towards a player while he was, or a player that he was trying to recruit. As Catherine Urquhart reports, it's not the first time a women's Whitecaps coach has faced accusations of a sexual nature. Hubert Busby Jr. was head coach of the Vancouver Whitecaps women's team in 2010 and 2011. Now, former player Mallory Enoch is accusing him of attempting to solicit sex during the recruitment process. In an interview with The Guardian, she alleges Busby bought her sports equipment, flew her to events, and requested she stay in his hotel room. In talking to her, it's just been really triggering. You know, she's a, a mom with a, a young, you know, young child now and with a job. And, and um, you know, I, I mean, she was emotional when I was talking to her. In 2019, former teammate Kira McCormick wrote a blog about Busby and another Whitecaps coach, Bob Berarda. He's now facing six counts of sexual exploitation, two counts of assault, and one count of child luring. It's the same story over and over again where, you know, misconduct comes to light and then, you know, organizations choose to cover it up and then athletes have to watch as these people walk unscathed back into the sporting landscape. The club's handling of abuse allegations has previously led to fans walking out of games in protest. You know, we're still looking to to grow the program. Busby is now head coach of the Jamaica women's national team, but his future remains unclear. Reportedly, he'll meet with the Jamaica Football Federation next week. Global News was unable to reach the 52-year-old who told The Guardian he denies all allegations against him. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. And Global News reached out to the Vancouver Whitecaps for comment on the story. So far, the team has not responded. A time of reckoning in the NHL. BC-born player Kyle Beach shares the trauma of sexual abuse from a former team employee as the Chicago Blackhawks tried to cover it up. That's next on the NewsHour. Shocking scenes from a once pristine part of the BC coast. How fridges are littering the beach. Coming up on the NewsHour. And Premier Horgan gets some encouragement from one of his Star Trek favorites. That's later. Right now, though, BC's Kyle Beach has stepped forward as John Doe number 1 in the sexual assault investigation involving the Chicago Blackhawks. Beach is speaking out following a damning independent investigation into the scandal. Global's Mike Durlay has more on the team's delay in taking action and why Beach is sharing his story now. It seemed like all of Chicago turned out for the 2010 Stanley Cup Parade. Everyone with the Blackhawks organization was celebrated, including a little-known video coordinator. Brad Aldridge! And the young player who had accused Aldridge of sexual assault a month earlier, only to see the team, then the envy of the NHL, do nothing about it. In an interview with CBS, Kyle Beach, once a top Canadian junior prospect who now plays professionally in Germany, said seeing Aldrich at the parade made him feel unimportant and that he was at fault. And now looking back and kind of going over my life over the last 10, 10 11 years, uh, there's a lot of things that I think I'd like to have back and a lot of moments that I've lost because of 
I wasn't myself and I didn't have the capacity to to manage those situations. Beach came forward after an independent report found Blackhawk's upper management not only knew about the allegation, but actively suppressed it. It was decided that the group would not alert human resources or do anything about the incident during the playoffs so as not to disturb team chemistry. Yet within the organization, others knew. To be honest with you, and straightforward, I thought um, what I heard was this, was the beginning and the end of it. And uh, not that it was a joke, but it was something that, that wasn't taken super seriously at the time. Chicago GM Stan Bowman has since resigned. Beach's story and lawsuit against the Blackhawks has become too big for the NHL to ignore. Mike Trollet, Global News, Toronto. Well, Kyle, Beach's brave disclosure has teams across the NHL and the wider hockey community talking. Sports director Squire Barnes joins us with more. Squire, that includes members of the Canucks. Yes, uh, at their uh, pregame press conference, which they have uh, on game days tonight, the Canucks play the Flyers. Travis Green was asked about this, and he spoke at length about Kyle Beach, how he felt he was courageous, but he also spoke about how the Canucks organization would handle this much differently. Players should feel uh, where they play, where they work is a safe place. I'd like to hope that, I, I think that uh, our players know that our organization uh, always have their back if something's wrong. Uh, something's happened to them, something's not right in any part of their life. Uh, checking in with your players is important. You know, there's just, just there's no place for stuff like that to happen to people in, in sport and uh, in society. Now, he said a lot more than what we can show you. One of the things he did say, just to paraphrase, was he watched the interview with uh, Kyle Beach a few times, and he said, it's a punch in the gut. And it is very emotional for him to watch because he was a young player at one time, too. And he says he goes back to those days when he watches what happened to Kyle Beach. But as I said, like everyone else, he uh, pointed out, Travis Green, that is, how courageous Kyle Beach was in coming forward. Mm -hmm. No doubt. And, it, and maybe that will encourage others who have also been victims to step forward, too. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Squire. Just ahead, new vaccine requirements change the game. There will be some people that are caught off guard by this. From the rink... To the pitch, what the revised health orders mean for youth sports. And a ghost ship setting sail for a scary Halloween with a secret cargo on board. Still really slow out of Delta tonight at the Massey Tunnel. Looks like they're pulling counterflow a little bit late, and as a result, traffic is backed up almost to the Delta workyard on the approach. Connect Hearing is Canada's number one physician-referred hearing health care provider. Your hearing is important. Take care of it. Visit Connect Hearing to book your hearing evaluation today. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Centre. Well, hospitalizations and deaths from COVID-19 are still stubbornly high. Here's a breakdown of the latest numbers for BC. We have 758 new cases and just under 5,000 active cases now. 434 people are in hospital. 155 of those patients are in ICU. Ten more people have died from complications of the virus. And nearly 85% of eligible British Columbians are now fully vaccinated. Some big changes are now in effect for coaches, leaders and parents of children in sports and other activities. Under the latest provincial health order, 
all adults supervising or assisting those activities and in most cases spectating are now required to be fully vaccinated. When it comes to youth sports, really the only thing standing in the way right now is the weather. Kids can play or practice regardless of their immunization status. A recent change in BC's vaccination rules mean that coaches could be issued a red card. So if you're in those circumstances, uh, you've got to get vaccinated. The provincial health officer updated her order around youth activities. And while everything is permitted, adults involved will need to be vaccinated. Spectators have been included for a few weeks now, but coaches, referees and volunteers will all now need two shots. The order goes further to include all youth activities. Adults involved with everything from girl guides to music lessons will now be required to be vaccinated. For organizations like BC Hockey, the news isn't much of a departure from the current requirements. There will be some people that are caught off guard by this uh, and that maybe don't have their full vaccination yet because they thought they might not have to get it right away. Um, I think those, those will be very, very few and each of the minor hockey associations and teams and leagues will be able to mitigate that on the ground. While the language in the order is clear, the change comes with no real enforcement provisions. It's my expectation that people will take seriously an order from our uh, provincial health or, uh, officer during a, uh, during a public health emergency. The change was brought in quietly October 25th. The government says it will have more information next week. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Up next, Pope Francis plans for a visit to Canada. How First Nations are reacting to the Vatican's offer to take part in truth and reconciliation. And parents of special needs children terrified they're about to lose the support that's helped them survive. Believe BC, featured on Global News Hour at 6, celebrates the innovative minds working together to reignite business throughout our province. Believe BC in partnership with Pacific Blue Cross, flexible small business health benefits for challenging times. Good evening. Still slow both ways along Highway 1 in Burnaby. Also, watch out for a crash westbound near Grandview Highway in the right lane with crews on scene. Traffic is backed up almost from Kensington. Planning a trip with BCAA Travel Insurance, you get free COVID-19 medical coverage and worldwide virtual care from BC's top choice. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. We're hearing today from many... Uh, BC First Nation leaders reacting to word that Pope Francis is planning to come to Canada. While that visit is being seen as a positive step towards reconciliation, many Indigenous leaders say the pontiff needs to be prepared to provide more than just an apology. Nitu Garcha reports, and a warning some viewers may find the content of this story distressing. He was going through the crowd. I looked at him and I said, I forgive you. I forgive you for all of the anguish and trauma that I've suffered in my life. It was in October of 2014, exactly seven years ago, that Chief Harvey McLeod and his mother Sarah traveled to the Vatican with high hopes for healing and closure. I can feel that energy go through me, and I know that was my ultimate forgiveness. Now, after years of calls for an apology, the Vatican confirming in a statement the Pope is willing to visit Canada for Indigenous reconciliation. And the response from survivors and leaders is clear. I want you to feel the hurt and pain and trauma that we, that we endured. 
An apology is just the first of many steps, says Tukumloops to Shwetmik, which is inviting the Pope to its lands to meet survivors, see the grounds of the hundreds of unmarked burial sites, finally release school attendance records and act on its legal and moral obligations. Healing centers could be any number of things, bringing back our languages, our culture, and also helping our people now and today. I think part of the resources need to be targeted toward education and curriculum, that it's in uh, all of the schools and accessible uh, curriculum to educate people about the genocide. Cookpie Judy Wilson is a generational survivor. Her father suffered abuse while attending this institution in Kamloops, as did Chief Harvey McLeod, who went here from 1966 to 1988. It was only two years. But in them two years, my whole life changed um, from a person with light, happiness, confidence to a person that wasn't himself anymore. With such deep trauma, he says real reconciliation will take generations. And yet it's a Canadian delegation of Indigenous leaders making the next step, set to travel to the Vatican this December, while a date for the pontiff's visit to this country has yet to be set. Nitu Garcha, Global News. And we understand these stories might be triggering for our viewers. So if you or someone you know needs support, call the number on your screen. It's 1-866-925-4419. The crisis line operates 24 hours a day. B.C. conservation officers in the Tofino and Yuklulit area are trying to get to the bottom of a perplexing trend. A spike in reports of problem bears forcing them to euthanize far too many. As Kylie Stanton reports, the bears aren't letting anything get between them and the food sources. Staying one step ahead, trying to make sure the bears stay out. But it's going to take this electric fence to make that happen in what's been an unusually busy pre-hibernation season. It's Tofino and Euclid, uh right now. And there are multiple bears that uh, we describe as food conditioned. Since April 1st, there have been 337 calls reporting sightings, compared to last year where there were roughly 65 calls in total. That's a massive 425% increase. In a small location like that, it's unusual. Um, we have had cases like this throughout the province and other places, but for me, it's the first in the Tofino Euclid area. A handful of them have developed a level of habituation where they've come to see structures as a food source, losing all fear of humans, often creating a risk to public safety. In one case, the bear actually walked through the front door in the middle of the afternoon with a family in the house. When it gets to that point, the bears have no chance at being relocated, leaving conservation officers with no choice but to euthanize the animals. So far, 12 have been killed in the Pacific Rim area this year. In all those cases, those were bears that broke into structures to access garbage. Now, the BC Conservation Officer Service is trying to determine what's behind the trend. We're not sure. Patrols of the area the night before garbage collection shows residents are abiding by the rules, securing all attractants keeping their bins inside. And while odd years do tend to show a slight increase in bear calls, largely due to the females' reproductive cycles, it's never been anything this drastic. And as long as food is available, it's only expected to continue. It's giving them incentive to keep feeding and put on more fat at a time when they might have naturally been moving more into denning. We've got a ways to go yet to get to the other side of this. 
Kylie Stanton, Global News. In health matters tonight, some B.C. parents are slamming a change in government support for autistic children. The province announced yesterday it will move away from targeted support for parents to a so-called hub model. John Waugh shows us why parents believe the change will set back the fight for autism supports by 20 years. I love you. Every beautiful moment built upon years of fighting countless battles. Hi there. Hi there. The heavy price Roxanne Black was more than willing to pay to make sure her son Reed could have the best possible life. He's very affected with autism. He's mostly nonverbal, but he's so happy. Like his whole life is full of, you know, great uh, people that work with him. Black says individualized provincial funding to support children with autism meant she could choose the right treatment and people needed to help Reed function and succeed in the community. Parents who get individualized funding straight to your bank account, we can stretch that dollar big time and provide the treatment that these kids need. Black says she was gutted to hear the B.C. government had decided to do away with the current funding structure so many families desperately depend on. People have talked to me about these things, like Roxy. I've thought about suicide. I've thought about putting my kid in the car and driving off that cliff. Like, these are the conversations that I have with parents. It's heartbreaking. The Minister of Children and Family Development, Mitzi Dean, says starting in 2025, a new hub system will provide easier access to resources for all children with special needs. These hubs will be one-stop service centres run by community providers where families will have access to a range of professionals without the need for a referral or a diagnosis. Black argues a centralised system already exists. And while it might work for some, it mostly leads to costly bureaucracy and longer wait lists. It's setting us back 20 years. We've been there, done that. We don't want to go back to that. Happy Protecting precious moments like this is why Black says plans are already being made to protest outside the B.C. legislature. Oh, what are we going to do? This mom putting the provincial government on notice. These parents are more than prepared for a fight. John Hua, Global News. Coming up, cargo containers bashed on the rocks. It was just a matter of time. The debris starting to pile up on remote beaches. And a ship with a skeleton crew ready to scare the neighbors on Halloween. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. We're getting a much better look at the debris that's washing up on a pristine Vancouver Island shoreline after more than 100 containers fell off a freighter last week. Ted Chernecki has the new pictures and the latest on the efforts to put out the fire that's still burning on the ship. New aerial video taken by the Coast Guard shows some of the debris now collecting near Cape Scott on the northern tip of Vancouver Island. You can see several refrigerators positioned right on the beach. First Nations hereditary chief David Knox echoes a common sentiment up here. It was just a matter of time before we saw this happen because there's so many 
freighters around, big ships, and and these storms are getting more fierce. A First Nations school field trip yesterday captured these photos. The class was there to study environmental issues and ended up getting a first-hand experience. There are now four of the 109 containers spotted, all of them near Cape Scott. Coast Guard says the two containers with toxic chemicals inside are not among these four. Our coastlines are so sensitive you know, with, with the kelps and all the other little fishes around the kelps and, you know, our beaches with all our clams. So I'm, I'm really concerned about the impact on, on the whole coast. Meanwhile, new concerns at the Zim Kingston where fires continue to smolder. The Coast Guard saying there may be up to five containers still on fire and it's believed a cargo of tires may have ignited. We've also learned that firefighters were hampered in their efforts because they couldn't attack the flames head-on, as that could flood the ship. Most of the spraying was on the perimeter of the fire to try and cool the surrounding metal. I can't believe how to fathom what's it going to take to clean up the whole beaches, especially with uh, more storms coming on, so more containers are going to wash up and crack open. Judging by the debris field, there's a lot of plastic and rubber in these four containers and probably in many of the other 1,900 containers still on board. The smoldering Zim Kingston. Ted Scherneke, Global News. So if you've been waiting for a fridge, it might be there. <laughs> cheap, cheap ones there. Tough to get all that stuff off of there. We've got a crew up there now, so we'll be filing another story tomorrow. So tune in for that. All right, let's see what is going on in the weather. We talk about those bigger more frequent storms but uh, we're ready for a break Christy. Mm -hmm. and you know it looks like or seems like mother nature sort of pinpointed one weekend that was really important for those of us here across southern bc we've needed a break and it's just in time for halloween but first we do have some warnings to talk about but i want to show you this photo uh this is out of the pasca lake area so there was snowfall in the coquihalla higher elevations this is not too far from logan lake denise sending us that looks like this snowman's like ah Oh my gosh, yes, that's the first of this type of photo. So thank you so much, Denise, for sharing that with us. So we still have rainfall warnings in effect, but as we head through the late evening hours, we're going to see the rain ease off. It's starting to here in the metro or in the uh, North Van area, for example. More so what we're watching is this for tonight and tomorrow morning. So we're going to see heavy rain on all of the mountain passes, but we're also through the highest summits uh, so that the connector, Rogers Pass and Kootenai Pass, we're talking about five to 10 centimeters of snow. And with the heavy rain it's really going to be a slushy mess so a tough go on the highways tonight and right through the morning hours tomorrow also heavy rain for the elk valley region as well as heavy snow expected in through the yoho kootenai park region so quite a mess as this atmospheric river finally shifts out of the region now tomorrow morning fraser valley still a slight chance of showers for you we'll see some lingering cloud cover really the bulk of it though in through the interior tomorrow morning and continuing to shift out through the afternoon hours uh, there is a slight chance still some moisture later in the day for areas like the Coquihalla and Allison Pass, but overall we're talking about sunshine not only later tomorrow, but through the next few days. And as I mentioned, it's like Mother Nature said, okay, South Coast, Southern BC, you deserve a break. We've had relentless rain through the latter part of September, October as well. And now we're finally getting a stretch of weather of sunshine, which it lands perfectly over Halloween, which is really nice. My even my little guys um, kept asking about how wet it's going to be for Halloween, anticipating that it's going to be wet, but it's so nice to be able to say that it'll be dry. Uh, great shot from Linda. Thank you so much from Castlegar. I love show, showing uh, photos of people enjoying the fall weather. All right, back to you guys. All right, thanks, Christy. Well, this can only help 
Premier John Horgan as he deals with his health issue that we told you about at the top of the show. He got a shout out today from his favorite Star Trek captain. Horgan is a well-known Trekkie and as we showed you earlier, he ended his news conference today with a familiar phrase. Today, thank, thank you. you very much. Live long and prosper, people. Kate Mulgrew, the actress who played Captain Catherine, Jane, uh, Ka Catherine Janeway on Star Trek Voyager. Mulgrew tweeting, wishing you a recovery that moves at warp speed. Horkin has said Janeway is his favorite captain because she's a strong female role model. He was raised by his mother after his father died. Janeway is also a nickname for my wife, Jane. Really? Yeah, I've always I've called her Janeway ever well, since that character appeared. Maybe you'll get a shout out from Captain Janeway too. <laughs> maybe, maybe someday. All right, let's bring in uh, Squire and uh, some singing going on at BC Place of late. Squire. Yes, it's happy singing, an old song. But after winning again last night, we got a look at this uh, musical New Whitecaps tradition. Yes, singing Stand By Me after every game with the fans. I was one of them up there. I'm glad you can't hear me. And setting sail for a scary voyage. Meet the man who built a pirate ship in the driveway. One that holds a secret. So nice. Uh, so nice to actually get stuck in game night traffic around Rogers Arena these days. This is not going to last for long, though, Mike sentiment about you will that. soon hate game day traffic <laughs> yes i can see it coming uh tonight the canucks will host the philadelphia flyers a team they've already played this year actually on that road trip vancouver blew a late lead in that game but then won it in a shootout the flyers played last night they beat edmonton so maybe the canucks have a bit of an energy advantage with the flyers playing two nights in a row but the talk still Around the Canucks is the lack of production from one of their $7 million men, Elias Pettersson, who once again will have new line mates to try and jumpstart him. JT Miller nicely back. Pettersson shoots. Again, he missed that, but it came in off hard. This fortunate bounce is the one and only goal for Elias Pettersson so far this season. The Canucks young star is noticeably not up to full speed yet after missing all of training camp and most of the preseason. So tonight, Travis Green has Pettersson centering the third line with Nils Hoaglander and Justin Bailey. Playing down the lineup could help Pettersson with favorable matchups and Bailey's size and speed could also give the young Swede extra room to make plays. You know, when it gets down into the offensive zone, uh, making sure I'm hard on, hard on the forecheck and, uh, you know, doing my best to, to get the puck in their hands and, uh, you know, create some chaos in front of the net. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and talk about uh, Petey not having traction or anything. Like, he's a good player and he knows that. And I think he knows when he's competing and plays on the inside, he's, you know, he's, he's probably the best player on the ice. You know, I think he knows that. Pedersen's done his best work with the Canucks on the lotto line with Brock Besser and JT Miller. But so far, they haven't hit the offensive jackpot in their limited time together this season. If we're not competing and skating and winning our one-on-one -on -one battles, you're going to be chasing the puck all game, and it doesn't matter what line you're on. 
The Flyers may be uh, just the tonic that Pedersen needs. Philly has scored a lot of goals this year. They've scored six twice, five, four a couple of times, but they also give up goals. It'll be a lot more freewheeling game than against Minnesota the other night when the Wilds' pressure really affected the Canucks' ability to create scoring chances. So Vancouver trying to get their first home win of the season in front of what they hope is another full house tonight against the Flyers. Very delayed reporting from Rogers Arena. Well, the Calgary Flames are off to a great start this year. There's Andrew Mangiapane, and here's uh, Johnny Gaudreau under the bar against Pittsburgh. That's a 1-0 lead. Jacob Markstrom had a big game in this one, 45 saves. This one off Jake Gensel. Nice. So Markey coming through for the Flambeys, and they would win this game by the score of 4-0. Gaudreau to Dylan Dubé. In fact, the uh, Flames swept a five-game road trip. They're number one in the Pacific Division with this win. Well, it really has been two seasons for the Vancouver Whitecaps. The first half of the year, they were submerged in Salt Lake. But the second half has been home sweet home. Once they got back to Vancouver, the Whitecaps have been a completely different team. And, of course, the coaching change happened as well. Last night's 2-1 win over Minnesota moved Vancouver to fifth place in the Western Conference with two games to go. One other thing the Whitecaps have had in the second half of the season that wasn't there in the first half is good luck. The first goal last night is an example of that, put in by Minnesota's Michael Boxall, who used to play for the Whitecaps. And then this shot off the post that failed to curl into the net for Minnesota which was immediately followed by another Brian White goal. Back for White. It's another one. We did a fantastic job in the last two months. Since I, I took over, we did 24 points in 12 games. So it's like two points per game. So it's like uh, we did fantastically, but uh, it's not enough yet. Vancouver has games next week against LAFC and Seattle. They are fifth, but they are only two points from being out of a playoff position. However... Getting to this point this late in the year is another example of how this team has rallied behind Sartini's endless supply of energy and also rallied around each other, which even includes a new tradition of singing Stand By Me with fans at the end of the game. Man knows how to have fun. When the BC Lions play Toronto on Saturday, they will have receiver Lucky Whitehead again. He has recovered from breaking two bones in his hand on this play against Winnipeg. The uh, Lions offense has suffered without him. At the time he was injured, he was actually the leading receiver in the CFL. Getting him back should help Michael Riley and the Lions score some points. Uh, Aaron Rodgers and the Packers taking on Arizona tonight, but Rodgers missing a lot of his receivers because of either injuries or COVID protocol. It's Chase Edmonds lining up his quarterback and going in wildcat style. 7-0 for Arizona, but watch this. It's 7-7. Rondale Moore actually touches that ball. It's recovered by the Packers. And they would get a field goal out of that. It's 10-7 now in the second quarter for Green Bay. And this just in, Joel Quenville has resigned as head coach of the Florida Panthers. He met earlier today with uh, NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman about what happened with uh, Kyle Beach and the Blackhawks back in 2010. So he is no longer the coach of the Panthers.
And we'll see if there are others who fall mm -hmm. in that scandal as well. Thanks very much, Squire. Up next, one person's trash is another person's treasure. A Halloween display Jack Sparrow would be proud of. Arg. Some families in Calgary are in for quite a treat when they head out on Halloween night. Global's Gil Tucker shows us how one resident turned an eyesore into something pretty spooktacular. Have you ever been to sea? Well, now's your chance. This here's um, our captain, and she'll be up behind the wheel controlling the ship on Halloween night. Setting sail on this Calgary driveway. Every ship should have a figurehead on it. It's a, a sign of good luck. Paul Goddard is pretty proud of his creepy creation. Now, this is where our ghost lives. A guy who really sends shivers down the timbers after dark. <laughs> a spooktacular ship. And check out what goes into the hold. Below decks, the ship's secret revealed. This is still a uh, working dumpster. Here for Paul's pandemic project. We uh, started to clean out the house. We're going to do some renovations in the basement. So we got a dumpster. It's been an eyesore. So I figured we'd just liven it up a little bit and give something else for the neighbors to look at. Something strange. I just had some extra stuff from uh, doing the basement. Some of the wood, a lot of the old drywall pieces, and we decided to uh, do our pirate ship. And, uh, we just started adding things and it came together quite quickly. There's something about Halloween and seeing those little faces and everyone's all happy and enjoying themselves. It's just something I have a passion for. Getting everything ship shaped for his skeleton crew. Our fellow who climbed up the crow's nest never made it down and that's where he's gonna spend eternity. Or at least until after the trick-or-treaters come by, Paul's looking at doing some other dumpster decorating for Christmas. To turn it into maybe a fairy castle. For now, it's all hands on deck for Halloween. All right, mateys, I have a lot of tricks and a couple of treats. So come to the pirate ship on Halloween. Arr. Gil Tucker, Global News. It's fun doing the pirate voice. Come on. There's and a whole day dedicated to it. Uh, is it just me? Today. Or have you ever noticed that skeletons always have great teeth? <laughs> it's true. They have Perfectly really, yeah. really nice teeth. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. And we They're get some, white. we get decent weather for this year. That's right. I'm so excited for everyone across southern BC. We are looking at a nice upper level ridge to keep us protected for the next couple of days. Thanks for that, Christy. <laughs> It's not talk like a oh, pirate day yet. Sorry, sorry. Maybe <laughs> I'll send you a calendar Sunday. invite. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Good night, all.